You're listening to the Journey to Impact Fireside Chat Series with Gino Borges, curator of the Poetry of Impact, a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers, to co-create a world where one day, all people and planet can thrive together. Hi, this is Gino Borges with the Journey to Impact series. I'm here with Corey Smith today, the co-founder and CEO of Wisdom Labs. Wisdom Labs delivers science-based solutions for mental, emotional, and social well-being to companies such as LinkedIn, Healthline, GoPro, Kauffman Foundation, Merck, and Salesforce. Previously, Corey was CEO of Impact Hub Bay Area, which is a great organization, uh, along with being a CEO of the Social Capitals Market Conference, also known as SOCAP, and CEO of Webcast Solutions. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today, Corey. It's great to be here, Gino. Well, you've done uh, a lot of things in your life in terms of leading, 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 and then starting. Um, where's that inspiration come from to uh, be out on the front of what's happening in the impact world, either as a leader in the form of being a CEO or a founder like you are of uh, Wisdom Labs? Well, uh, I had a couple different pivotal events uh, to, to move me from being, I've always been drawn to be an entrepreneur, but to become a social entrepreneur um, really goes back to between, I had, had between two companies around 1997 early. I've been an entrepreneur for quite a while. And in 1997, um, we, uh, we were working with United Nations and UNESCO, and I had an event um, I got caught in a suicide bomb in Jerusalem. And um, it turned my world upside down and made me reevaluate at an early age as an entrepreneur, what am I doing, why I'm doing it, what's the reason behind it, how I'm impacting people and others. So it was an event that um, really rocked my world and made me start to think about, well, if I'm gonna be an entrepreneur, I wanna do things that um, are of benefit. Um, the people that probably an earlier age that most people start to think about that sort of thing. Um, so that was, that was probably the big pivotal event for me that, that moved me from uh, entrepreneur to social entrepreneur. And then, um, you know, the more I got involved and interested in it, I started, you know, really inquiring or what are the levers of social change and how do you do that? And uh, where, where can you have the most impact? Uh, I've always been drawn toward, uh, scale. So how do we have impact at scale? And, and those questions have uh, kind of been on that journey ever since. What in particular was it about the Jerusalem bombing? Sort of take us through where you at a coffee shop near the bomb. Were you, how close were you to this and how old were you? Yeah, so I was uh, in my 20s, I, um, I believe. And um, and yeah, so we were we were uh, we had done work with a previous company called uh, MediaCast, um, webcasting internationally with United Nations and UNESCO, and 
Um, and that um, led to a lot of work we were doing, um, including some interesting things like the first online peace summit. We had Nelson Mandela uh, live from Pretoria with Shimon Perez from Israel and uh, Eli Weissel from Israel, while speaking with uh, Jimmy Carter from Atlanta and a, and a group of Nobel laureates uh, on the on the um, on the eve of the um, uh, on the anniversary of the dropping of the bomb in Hiroshima. And it was really the first time in that case where people were coming together uh, and to look at uh, cross-cultural peace on this new medium, uh, the web, which actually was called the multicast backbone at that time, as the precursor to the web. And that got us into this idea of you know, working with the United Nations. We had an opportunity to work with UNESCO and travel around the world documenting World Heritage Sites with a team of people for an entire year. And um, when we were in these, uh, we, when we came into the Middle East through Egypt, uh, the Great Pyramids, and we came into Jerusalem, we were interviewing people who were making um, cross-cultural peace initiatives uh, happen um, and uh, against the backdrop of the World Heritage Site, which is Jerusalem. And so we had just finished an interview and we're sitting at a coffee shop in Ben Yehuda Square and, um, and just started to eat lunch when the bomb went off, it was right by us. So literally we had to, I grabbed my colleague and we ran with everybody else out of the square uh, and got, um, I got her into a cab and then I had a second thought, well, here I am, I've got my camera. So I went right back into it um, with my camera and I found myself face to face with you know, some young girls that were exploded, you know, got blown up and others. And so that in and of itself was quite impactful, of course. But when I went back to the hotel afterwards, I met my team and they had said, um, hey, you know, you've got this footage. You should take it to CNN, which is just around the corner of the Jerusalem Bureau. And I said, yeah, I should. Um, and so I ended up walking over there. And as I walked over there, processing everything that just had happened, realizing that the one book I had brought on that trip was a, for that whole year was a book called by Joseph Goldstein called The Experience of Insight. And I was kind of trying to reflect, I finished the last page of that book that day. I was trying to reflect on what, what, what could be helpful from that. And I was trying to slow my breathing and think, and I went into, uh, I went into the uh, CNN headquarters and they said, "Oh, you've, you're just at that bomb. Could we, um, you know, could we put you on on air?" And I had been thinking of my walk over. I don't want to. I, I don't want to just feed them this content, you know. Um, I want to be intentional about it. But I had that in mind just enough, and I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll do it direct." So next time I see myself connected to Jerusalem, or excuse me, from Jerusalem to uh, Atlanta. And they're asking me questions, you know, about describe the footage. And I, we ended up in this kind of cross-talking situation where I wanted to talk about something more than just me describing the footage. And I realized just about five minutes into this that I was just a pawn in the game of a bigger picture. And I realized almost in a flash that just after this um, trauma, uh, I'm talking to people that are basically just wanting to use this as a, as another, if it leads, it bleeds type of thing where they're going to sell more advertising. I realized that the 
three Hamas guys that blew themselves up simultaneously are getting their message out through me. And I also realized that at a backdrop of that, we were working on something that was looking at cross-cultural peace initiatives, which is completely different with a new medium, which wasn't traditional media. And so from that, I, I took away that maybe, you know, media and uh, this new medium, uh, the internet could be really impactful um, and outside of the traditional uh, sphere. And so I set my sights a lot uh, from there on, on how to use that medium. You know, it's interesting as we f fast forward and look at where we are right now, but it hasn't changed a lot. We're almost like the same traditional media uh, components are still in place, but that's what got me going on it. And, and so that's, and that's, those are some of the, go ahead. Yeah. So Corey, where's that thread at now? I, it seems like it's so probably still, it still resides in your body, this experience, and you've had these leadership opportunities and, uh, and now you're founder mm -hmm. of Wisdom Labs. How have you sort of taken that experience and translated into Wisdom Labs? Like, how have you brought it to the world in the way that you wanted to bring it in the world as opposed to the way the CNN wanted to bring, you know, or to actually shine your wisdom at the moment? Yeah, you know, um, I think this first experience was me personally and how do I want to show up? And then it started to, I had another experience with, uh, with my next company, Webcast Solutions, where I just had been running so hard. We had a successful company got acquired by a public company. I was running and running and running, and I actually came very close to burning out. So that that was another personal experience of like, well, if I'm going to be a CEO and move forward, how am I going to, uh, how am I going to be in a way that I can thrive? And so, and then um, as I started to get more and more into the impact space and working with social entrepreneurs, uh, it all became a lot less about me and how we could help others and started shifting a lot toward this is my experience, but well, how can we actually serve? And so, um, you know, what we realized, and I think what we all realize in the impact space, a lot of us anyway, is that the real change is going to happen through business and be from the inside out. And so um, one team at a time, one, you know, one, one individual at a time, one culture at a time, and, and one business at a time. And there's really no shortcut to helping create positive change within organizations. It's really going to be an inside job. And there's lots of things that can help, of course. But a really important part of that um, is, to, is to look at the mental, uh, emotional, and social well-being of the individuals, the teams, and the people, uh, and the companies overall, and the culture. And so we we focus now um, we focus now at Wisdom Labs, uh, as you mentioned at the outset, mental, emotional, and social well-being at work, and um, in a way that um, can scale within organizations. Um, and that looks like science-based learning and practices around three main areas: uh, self-awareness, primarily through mindfulness, uh, emotional awareness, and social connection collaboration. And really those three things uh, also create the foundation for building resiliency in an organization. And we quickly found by working within organizations that that the, one of the number one things that we saw was that people are chronically stressed. Stress is not a bad thing, but, but stress is really a big issue with people. And so, um, um, 
you know, we started to adapt our, uh, a lot of our content to address that big pain point in organizations. And so I could talk more about that, but that's, that's how, that's kind of how I got from, from my personal to, um, journey to, to where we are today and, and thinking about how we could be most impactful and scale, uh, uh, within organizations and realizing that organizations are the place to, to make the biggest social change, uh, at least in this particular political environment, um, where it seems like business will be the place, uh, where we have the most, uh, impact most quickly. Let's look at that, those terms that you threw out, um, whether it's, <laughs> Uh, mental, emotional, and social well-being, uh, you know, that's often sa said so often and said so fast that um, I noticed that people rarely sort of stop to actually feel into what actually all that stuff means. And mm -hmm. then, then when you do stop and pause to feel what it means, it has a lot of variability, um, an element of wildness and irascibility to, to um, all of that you know, all, all, all those categories, but you sort of reduced it down. You talked about resiliency and the importance of resiliency, mindfulness, um, emotional intelligence, and social connection. Where, um, where does the body fit into this? I mean, I see the mindfulness, I see the emotional intelligence, and I, and I see the social, mm -hmm. but I don't hear the body being talked about. Is the body just merely a carrier for these activities? Or is there a somatic relevance for the body as well as part of this resiliency campaign? Yeah, you know, it, you're, you're exactly right, Gina. The, the body is really critically important. Um, and we do have some uh, somatic um, exercises on our app and other things. But, but it was also... Um, it was also a decision that we made early on that we need to remain focused on the areas that we can um, have the most impact on. And there, uh, we're not downplaying the, the importance of the body. I have my own uh, daily practice that really involves the body. You know, we've got all kinds of body practice from yoga to all stretching and exercise and all of those other things. But when we focused on the mental, emotional, and social uh, components, that felt like something that we could really make a giant contribution to, and that these other areas were fairly well established. So that's that's the decision there. It's certainly important. It's just that, from a business perspective, we decided to focus in those three areas. How how do you how do you parse out um, how do you parse it out? Like where does the leap um, come for you in terms of focusing on mindfulness and emotional intelligence and the social like to me I feel like the body is relevant to all of that and it's not performance-based activities like you mentioned like um, yoga is largely a performance-based activity people uh, rarely do yoga for the sake of um, setting it up for um, a meditation it's more of an exercise activity for the bulk of America um, you mentioned exercise, uh, but what I'm talking about is this this idea that the body may be a feedback loop for these very things. Where unless you tune into the soma, you you don't understand. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to understand how the mind works because the mind and the soma are interrelated. It's very difficult to understand my emotions without understanding 
the feedback loop of my body. So where I'm getting at is uh, where I'm going at is that there's a tendency to over cerebralize those categories you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So what I'm interested in going is like, how do you ground those activities so that they don't feel like, boy, that's really interesting talk, but I don't understand how it's like being integrated into my uh, physical existence. Yeah. Yeah, though well, that's a great question. Thanks for the clarification on 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 that. And so, you know, on a practical level, we do focus a lot um, on understanding emotions, and emotions, of course, show up in your body in all types of different ways. A lot of what we also focus on, um, you'll find a lot around breathing, mm. and so that is both a voluntary and involuntary process that affects your physiology, your well-being. In that case. Um, the other, the other kind of, uh, way that we do a lot of what we do is we have a structure that we found to be very effective for, um, for introducing these, what people would call softer skills. Um, you know, they imply that they're soft, but not important. I would, I would argue that they're more important than ever, especially in this time, but we do, uh, what we start with is science-based lessons and learning. Um, a short science-based lesson on a particular topic, like say fixed mindset or open mindset, and then an actual practice, which is a which is a meditation essentially on that topic. So everything we do is pretty much paired with that combination. So what we found is that until people can understand, especially as skeptics. Uh, we would work with a lot of tech companies and engineers and skeptical folks that until they can understand why I'm doing this from the, um, from the science perspective, they can't relax enough to move it from head to heart and into body. So that's why we structured the things the way we've done it, the way we, where we have. So once you've given people the science, they can then practice it themselves and see objectively how it fits and shows up in their body. And then they have they have the full picture there, and that's how I think it it gets to that place of moving out of conceptual into actual, uh, you know, a, a body knowing, if you will. I like it. How do you navigate the obsession of the business world to um, lock in on outcomes in advance of practices and processes, and they want to sort of know the you know the language of the bottom line. Um, you know, consultants often or groups often are faced with this. And it's one thing to make a product and, and focus on an outcome of a product, but you're dealing with such subtle energies and subtle, invisible landscapes, both external and internal. And there's, there's so much going on that, frankly, uh, we don't even know about when, when it comes to this. How do you navigate that? institutional imperative of wanting to know everything in advance and making sure that X causes Y, and then yet sort of honor the reality that so much of what's happening is unknown? That's a great question. Um, first of all, uh, we'll start we'll start talking with, with people who are in HR, learning and development, uh, they're in wellness, or they're, they, they have a, uh, a medium or small size company, and they just they know that they want this for the organization. Talking about 
you know, what is the cost of the organization? Uh, first of all, um, on, a, on a big level, what's, what's the cost of attraction and retention of talent? Then also, you know, give people the real stats. One stat that stands out is that there's, there's an there's a estimated $300 billion lost, uh, lost each year in U.S. businesses due to employee stress. 53% of people uh, consider leaving their job. Um, there's, um, there's the absentee part of it. And then we, we also talk about, you know, what's, what, what are the stats as you go into the next level, not just on the, the business costs, what are, what are the actual individual costs? Because people get this intuitively, like, yeah, we see this chronic stress all around us. You know, things like the World Health Organization just recently said, you know, declared this as a massive global problem with 260 some million people living with some type of anxiety disorder. And then burnout, they've defined burnout as a symptom resulting from chronic workplace stress that's not been successfully managed. And there's a, there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot, you know, on the stress level, you know, people are reporting that it was, it was, I think it was 79% a year and a half ago of U.S. individuals, uh, workers that say they're stressed. Now it's 83%. I would imagine in this current time, it's even going higher. And then there's another interesting thing that, you know, people, they know about it now. This is, this is not just us telling them, but they're, they're getting it, which is another subset, which is loneliness. Um, I just was um, talking with and listening to um, the former Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, who talks a lot about this. Um, and we just did a big webinar with, um, with Harvard on this topic of loneliness in the workplace. And that um, the, the younger the population you go, the more pronounced it becomes, where 40% uh, of Americans generally say that they're lonely. But if you start to look at the millennials in the workplace, it's 60% and it's even higher for Gen Z. And so there's a lot of reasons behind that. But loneliness, uh, the issue there is, and this is, this is not us saying it, but it's equivalent to 15 cigarettes a day and its health impacts. So how do you get to that with a purely digital solution? So, you know, these are the things we start with. And then we also do a lot of things like pre and post. We, we do scientifically validated baselines and then we give people results. And we, we've, we've been doing those things as well to just say, um, you know, we're doing everything we can to give you the information. But, you know, also people are just looking around, you know, uh, just ask your colleagues, ask your next door neighbor, ask, you know, what is what's your level of chronic stress? And it's a head nod really quickly. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Hey, to uh, wrap up the conversation, I have a question for you. And uh, it's sure. two questions to wrap up the conversation. One, where's Wisdom Labs at now? What's your role in it? And then um, what would your ideal situation be like? I mean, what would an organization, an ideal organization, an ideal culture that supports these organizations look like where we would want our kids to be able to walk into and us to walk into, uh, you know, five to 10 years from now. I mean, what could the world look like as a result of people adopting more of the practices and insights that you guys are trying to provide at Wisdom Labs? Yeah, and I think maybe to, to frame that, I can talk about, um, you know, one of the companies we work with that, um, that's really taking a, a forward view on this. Uh, LinkedIn is an example, is one of our clients. Um, and we, um, we started with them with a, 
uh, a peer-to-peer community uh, that just piloted out. They like that. Um, they expanded out that community to others. And this is a this is run by in LinkedIn employees, and we it's a half an hour a week every week. It's a science-based lesson and a practice. So literally, people that what, is, what it looks like today is people are coming together for a half an hour and learning about the science together. And then they're, they're doing a practice, a closed-eyed meditation together. And then they're discussing how that thing shows up in this organization, half an hour a week, every week. And when they're not doing that, they have access to the app to deepen that. And so, you know, like in LinkedIn, as an example, we started with a few um, uh, communities. Then they got access to the app. We were invited to participate in the 30-day mindfulness challenge that they did. And and because of that, um, we are now um, offering our app to every one of the uh, employees, um, um, and we're the, the mindfulness app for all of LinkedIn. But more, just as importantly, we're seeing now the communities that we started with just a couple are in every major global location where LinkedIn is operating. So these communities are starting to infuse the culture. So they're 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 all over Asia and they're all over Europe and they're all, and they're all communicating together as well and they're all learning and practicing separately and together and they're using the app and so what we're seeing in real time is how companies like this can have 20 or 30 of these global communities 15 16,000 the entire population using an app like Why Does It Work which basically gives them strategic mental, emotional, and social content where they need it, when they need it. And so that people don't have to suffer in silence. They can know that other people uh, are also um, suffering with them or working together to get around it or just learning. Not it's all about the negative. It's about how can I actually collaborate better? How can I actually be more focused at work? These kinds of other positive attributes. Um, And so that's what it really looks like today. And I don't think we have to even look out five years I'm very hopeful that this thing can um, can go out. And we know that it can instantly scale in these organizations. And then another kind of really interesting thing is we can have a dashboard, which gives aggregated anonymized data of all the activity of all the mental, emotional, and social well-being of that organization. And when we see a spike, say, towards um, toward um, an activity of people going toward calm and balance, we know that we can alert the organization that there's something up and provide content directly out into the community leaders that address that and also offer content that's on the app that also uh, will help with resiliency, emotion, emotional awareness, or, or anxiety, whatever they're dealing with, in real time, the next day, essentially, to stabilize an organization that may be going through a difficult time. So I think that's the... It's both the potential of the future, but it's it's here now, and that's I think the exciting thing that we see um, uh, about getting this out to other uh, companies like LinkedIn. Such wonderful evolutionary work, and I really enjoy your story, Corey, because there's so much blurring of the lines between your personal experience and what you're doing in the professional world, and it's been one of my journeys as well. And so it's nice to find a um, fellow peer that's doing, um, you know, that's working with that migration between the inner and the outer world, who's honoring our history of experience and trying to move forward and and to do life of service. 
We're here with Corey Smith, and who's the CEO and found co-founder of Wisdom Labs. Corey, thank you so much for this conversation. It's very, it's a very rich conversation, and again, you have such a, a wonderful way of sharing and talking about a topic that is just starting to get some good traction. Gina, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Journey to Impact. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform. For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com.